much of what the Penguins are facing today in elimination is due to the core of superstars. Man, that's a hard, hard question to tackle. Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. Good nervous Friday for you hockey fans. The Penguins are facing a do-or-die game four today at 4.10 p.m. up in Toronto against a Montreal team that's a little bit better than maybe some of us had thought. A lot more determined than I had thought the Canadians would be coming into this as a 24th seed, pretty much knowing they weren't going to be going anywhere. They've played with fire. They've played with gusto. From the moment Shea Weber came out and started knocking people around, you think of him for his big shot, but he's also a pretty big dude. You could tell the Canadians were very much into this. And yet... Anytime the Penguins get into trouble, anytime their backs are to the wall, and this goes back 30 years, this goes back to Mario times, we as people who watch and love Pittsburgh hockey will look to the superstars because that's the way it's always been done here. The Penguins have been a superstar-based franchise a marquee NHL franchise built on marquee players. They've never succeeded in any other way. I mean, you can look at the rough and tumble way that they competed in gutting out all kinds of injuries to win the Stanley Cup in Nashville in 2017. But you're still talking about Crosby and Malkin you could look back to different cups in different years. You're still talking about superstars at the core. When you're talking about who's won the Conn Smythes with each of the Penguins' five championships, it's always been a superstar. So that's what we do. We look at, in this case, Sid and Gino. I'm not going to put Latang in that group. I never have. Sid and Gino are the two guys. Sid's popped a couple of goals. He's played okay. He's done some good things. He hasn't taken over the series. Gino has one assist, an absolute beauty, that thread-the-needle pass to Patrick Hornquist through the box the other night in Game 3. And he has 17 shots on goal through three games, so he's hardly been passive and invisible. He's all over the puck. He's all over the rink. He's skating hard. He has also yet to take over the series. So we look to those guys naturally, instinctively, at a time like Game 4, and we say, here it comes. Sid and Gino are going to do it. Here it comes. (sighs) They've won a lot of championships. They've done a lot of great things, those two. I've Very, very, very hard-pressed to ever come up with a negative syllable, negative thought about either of them and what they've meant to Pittsburgh. They've won more championships than Mario did. And at the same time, 
when you look back over their independent playoff histories and you ask yourself, what's the one game, what's the one performance that really, really rose above where you said, wow, that was just that, that day, that game that Sid just took over in a playoff. Yeah, I know. Me neither, right? Did you try? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, it, it, it's all relative, so I'm not being critical here. I'm just saying it, there's not one that, you know, boom, you snap your finger and, and, and it comes to mind. It, it doesn't. When we think of Malkin, almost reflexively, we go all the way back to that great goal against the Carolina Hurricanes in the 2009 Eastern Conference Final where he comes out from behind the net, turns to his backhand, spins around, and whips it up over Cam Ward. But do you think of another one? Is there one in 2016? Is there one in 2017 where you go, oh, yeah, that was the one where Geno really, really bailed them out? No. I mean, to this day, when I think of an iconic Sidney Crosby goal, that was scored in a Pittsburgh sweater. I think back to that Islanders game when he came back from the concussion, or I think of highlight goals. You know, the one-handed thing in Buffalo and so forth. But I don't think of playoffs. I, I don't think of something where you say, yeah, there was that one iconic moment. Uh in a postseason where Sid or Gino just rose above. It hasn't happened. It hasn't happened for Gino either. I mean, I'm not even mentioning Sid in in Vancouver scoring for Canada because that, that's just not a factor here. I mean, it, it's, it's a part of his legacy, yes. But we're talking about the Stanley Cup playoffs and we're talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins. So when I say these things, it sounds like I'm about to embark on some sort of blaming Sid, blaming Gino, and I'm not. I'm more looking at it from the standpoint of meaningful precedent and in turn reality. These Penguins, the way they're currently constructed, the way they've been constructed really for about four or five years, including the two championships, haven't been built, haven't succeeded on Sid and Gino rising up to do superhuman things. They just haven't. It's been about using their extraordinary talents, making it part of what they do, a big part of it. But there's always been supplementary or complementary players who've risen above. Patrick Hornquist was the one that scored the big goal in Nashville. Patrick Hornquist is the one who, if they were ever to do a statue related to the 2017 championship in Nashville, would be the one with his arms raised back against the glass, looking out past Pecorine after he banked the puck off of him. It would be about Hornquist. Jake Gensel has scored far more goals in the last couple of playoffs than Sid and or Gino. Brian Rust was on a 30-goal pace before the coronavirus shutdown. There are players on this roster 
who have needed to step up to fit that model, that prototype that the Penguins have used to succeed. The Boston Bruins, for me, are the template here. I cite this example a lot in writing and here on this program. The Boston Bruins took that core of theirs, Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, Zdeno Chara, Tuka Rask, two forwards, a defenseman, and a goalie. Around those four guys, I mean, you can throw a couple others, and David Krejci's been there forever and so forth, but you get the point. And they've constantly built around them. You don't ask or expect Bergeron or Marchand to be the guy that scores four or five points in the game to win it. But they remain the core. They remain what's steady. You don't expect Chara to be the guy that dominates on defense the way he used to. That's why you have all your Tory Krugs and Charlie McAvoys and so forth. The Penguins are now at a phase of their franchise where Sid and Gino are markedly into their 30s. They didn't just cross 30. We're talking about 33, 34 years old. If we're waiting on them, worse, if the Penguins are waiting on them to just have this giant Mario-like four-point outburst, and carry the Penguins to glory past the Canadians and into the next round. That ain't going to happen. That's not to say these aren't still great players, but that's not the way this playoff is going to work. That's not the way this team is going to survive this and advance to the next round and make something meaningful out of this run. It's just not. It's going to be because someone on the Penguins becomes, to keep using the Boston parallels here, David Pasternak. It, it's because other players will contribute. Other players will recognize what their roles are and dig a lot harder and push a lot harder. And I'm not going to get into 1970s hockey here or whatever, but when Shea Weber's the one knocking people around, and when the Canadians are out skating and out fighting you for the puck, as evidenced in Game 3 by Montreal having a very surprising edge in shot attempts. Remember, this is supposed to be the lesser skilled, less deep team. Montreal had 58 shot attempts to the Penguins' 57. Sure, that's only a margin of one, but in the first two games, it went the other way completely and significantly. The Canadiens are competing harder to win puck battles. Claude Julien basically acknowledged as much after Game 3, saying, look, we're not, we know we're not going to outskill them. We know we're not going to outgun them. But we can outheart them. We can go for a 50-50 puck and come out of there with it. Montreal's done that to their credit. So to me, what's missing from the Penguins right now is a combination of a lack of, geez, can I say depth? 
I mean, because that's kind of what it feels like. I mean, I know we're, we've all been saying for a while now, well, look, they're scratching Anthony Angelo and Sam Lafferty and Evan Rodriguez, and that must mean they are so, so deep. But the fact is that the group that they sent out there, the group that Mike Sullivan sent out there for Game 1, wasn't going to give you the scoring and the forward depth that you needed to compete. I'm not saying that now after the fact. I said it beforehand. And I believed it. Wasn't hoping for it to come true, but believed it. There was no semblance of a third line that made any sense, that had any concept of identity or of what its role was. These were the leftovers. These were the guys that didn't fit in on the other three lines. And, oh, well, here we go. Here's our third line. And that wasn't going to do it. The Penguins needed all along and most definitely need today in Game 4 to understand that everyone aside from Sid and Gino has a responsibility to rise up, to do their part. At the risk of repeating myself, if we're waiting for Sid and Gino, that's almost as bad as if penguins would be waiting on Sid and Gino. Do your own jobs. When we come back, I'm going to get into some more details about what to expect ideally, in this game four. Just defend. Those were the two words some of you will recall. Chris Letang related to me that night in San Jose, 2016, that Mike Sullivan had told him that morning at SAP Center. That was the sum total of Sullivan's prescription for how Latang should play in Game 6. Just defend, and everything else will come. Of course, Latang ended up playing arguably the greatest game by a defenseman in franchise history that night, not least of which was scoring a critical goal to beat the Sharks. That's uh, that's ancient history now, and at the same time, it's really not. This segment of Daily Shot is always brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. During normal times, one in seven Western Pennsylvania residents are food insecure, including one in five children. Not knowing where your next meal is coming from can be scary. And now, during the pandemic, the need for food, as we've seen, is that much greater. If you are in need of food assistance, or if you'd like to support the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank's mission of feeding people in need, eliminating hunger in our region, visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. Spell those three words out, pittsburghfoodbank.org. One dollar can provide enough food for up to five meals. Of everything that the Penguins need to do in this game and everything we've ever seen from Sullivan as a playoff coach, 
is taken into consideration. Then know this, he'll enter game four with just those two words in mind. Remember that you heard it here first. It'll be all about just defend. When the Penguins have won in the playoffs, they've held the opponent to just a couple of goals. When they've lost, they've given up more than a couple of goals. It's never all that complicated, certainly not in the mind of this head coach. If you think back to the Penguins' lone victory in this series, Game 2, what they did, pretty much all they did, actually, was defend. They stifled Montreal. They frustrated them. They kept them to the outside. They defended rushes really well. They tracked back as forwards to make sure that their defensemen weren't getting outnumbered at their own blue line. They did all kinds of really, really good things defensively. They didn't do much with the puck once they got it, and they definitely didn't get creative other than on a couple of rushes offensively, but they took care of stuff in their own end. Most coaches in most sports, when they're in trouble, will lean toward what they feel they can best control. In Sullivan's case, that is always, always, always defending. Defending at all points on the rink. If he's going to go down, it's not going to be because he took risks. If he's going to go down, it's going to be because the other team found a way to make it through the defending that his team does. Sullivan and his staff have every reason to feel that Montreal isn't equipped to do that. Because they aren't. The whole thing about losing Game 3 that stings the most is the fact that look at that roster. They shouldn't be making a comeback against anybody in any round of these playoffs with that group of forwards. But they did. Part of it, was obviously, was Weber and Jeff Petrie as defensemen coming up and joining the attack and making things happen. But none of that should be coming to pass. The, the Penguins absolutely can and should defend this team. From there, that's where you just hope for the best. This is survival mode. This is what you're going to see here. You're going to see, uh, and even to an extent here, from the Penguins about taking care of business first and foremost, and just hoping for the best offensively. It's going to be about trying hard. This is what Evgeny Malkin had to say to reporters in Toronto yesterday. Uh, we try to stay positive for sure right now and uh, uh, try to support each other. In the next two days, it's huge for us, and, uh, including myself. And uh, again, we have great experience. It's like we played before, like so many games in playoffs. And uh, confidence is fine. Like we understand, we play against a good team, and uh, just like we not play right, like uh, last two games. And uh, again, if we play right, we have a good chance to win. Yep, that's it. It's a spirit thing, uh, and there's a reason that Gino's the one that gets selected to come and face reporters yesterday. He's always the guy whenever. Uh, times get tougher. He'll raise his hand to do it. He doesn't make a big habit out of, hey, let me be the one who speaks to the media or whatever. 
But when he feels like the Penguins are in trouble, he'll raise his hand. And he'll take his turn as leader or co-leader of the team. And he'll defend. He'll back check. It doesn't mean he'll be perfect. It doesn't mean he won't have his share of giveaways or whatever. But he'll be back there. Sid will be back there. Sid will go into Sochi mode. Sid will be Mr. 200-foot center. And you're going to see the Penguins defend. You're going to see them play like berserk in their own end and in the neutral zone to ensure that Montreal doesn't score. Uh, And I'm not crazy about it. I get what they're going to be doing. I understand why. But here's my concern within it. And it's not long-term, because there's no such thing as long-term when you're talking about entering an elimination game. Because the Penguins can't and won't advance very far in these playoffs, regardless of what happens against Montreal, by adopting this particular formula. What's concerning is that you're facing Carey Price. Are we okay now saying yet again that Carey Price is the most talented goaltender in the world? If you don't believe it from me, and I've been saying it for months here, Malkin repeated it himself yesterday. Plain and simple, exactly those words. Carey Price was voted in a private vote, meaning their their ballots aren't released to the public, of the NHL Players Association among its entire membership. All 700 guys participate in this. Carey Price plays for a less than mediocre team in Montreal, doesn't put up the greatest numbers. He still wins this survey. Is that because, well, he's just the guy that always wins it and that's how it is? I, I mean, I'd like to give the players a little bit more credit than that. I'd like to think that they know what they're seeing out there, that they know what they're facing when they go against Montreal. And now if you're Sullivan, you're asking the Penguins to go into this game, defend, keep the other team down, a couple goals or less, ideally less, and then just hope that a power play or a rush or a spectacular individual effort by a Crosby, Malkin, Gensel, Rust, whoever, will win the game. But when you see the amount of shots it has taken the Penguins to get Puck's pass price, when you see the amount of traffic they've generated, which, by the way, started in Game 1, That's not something that came along late in the series. That seems to be kind of a common narrative, including with Sullivan himself, that, well, you know, they need to get more traffic and bump him. They've been doing that from the start. It hasn't mattered. He's Carey Price. He's seeing everything. He's fighting his way through everything. He's covering everything. He's not letting you have your sustained attack. He's not letting you have your feel-good vibe of buzzing the Montreal zone. When the puck is anywhere around him, he just very calmly, slowly drops down, puts his glove on it, and you'll just have your face off and like it. Takes the pace right out of you. Takes the energy right out of you. Now, right after you were doing all this energetic stuff, you're either going off the ice for a line change, 
or you're lining up for just another draw. The game is prices to control. And if the Penguins' focus in Game 4 is going to be preventing goals, I wonder how much they'll be able to expend, not just in energy, but also in terms of taking risks and sending bodies through the Canadian slot into the Canadian's crease to beat Price. Ultimately, that's still the objective here. That's still the wall that's in play. When Malkin talked about Price being the best goaltender in the league, he openly acknowledged that Price has frustrated the Penguins, that they feel like they've had pretty good chances, that they've even taken some pretty good shots that just haven't resulted in goals. And that can beat you up a little bit psychologically as a team because then you start trying to make the extra pass or you start trying to pick corners when you don't need to. That's when you start shooting the puck off the glass, by the way. And we saw plenty of that in Game 3. If it sounds like I don't have an answer for an approach to Game 4, it's because I don't. It's because I don't. But I'm also trying to convey here, most importantly, that I'm not sure Sullivan's arsenal for answers is going to be that much greater because his supporting cast really has let him down. I believe that more strongly than anything else related to this series to date. Yeah, they've popped a couple of goals of their own. I mean, Jason Zucker had a big one the other night. You know, you've seen an occasional play from somebody, but for Montreal to be generally outplaying and outshot attempting the Penguins... Your supporting cast just isn't getting it done. That's not about Sid and Gino. That's not about strategy. It's not about goaltending. It's just about these guys not being good enough, not energetic enough, not fiery enough. Whatever adjective you want to attach to it, they haven't done enough. If the Penguins win game four, it'll be because they rose up. If the Penguins survive this series, it'll be because they rose up to a level that's twice as high as what they showed in the first three. I'm not holding my breath on that. Doesn't mean it won't happen, but I'm not necessarily expecting it. We'll see. You know what? I'm going to do another one of these tomorrow, even though it's Saturday, just because. Why not, right? <laughs> Thanks for listening to this one. You know, and try to relax a little bit. It's just a hockey game. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your bike, your computer, your window, your gun. Safety is a habit. Every day you lock and secure your home, car, and everything you want to keep safe. Gun safety and responsible storage are no different and the best way to help prevent accidents, misuse, and theft. If you own a firearm, it's your responsibility to store it safely when it's not in use. Choose a system that works for you. Cable locks, lock boxes, and gun safes are some of the most effective ways to protect your family and keep firearms secured. 
Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure and find out how to get a free firearm safety kit. Visit projectchildsafe.org. That's projectchildsafe.org. If you have a firearm, own it, respect it, and secure it. Brought to you by the National Shooting Sports Foundation and the Bureau of Justice Assistance.